This Women's Agenda podcast series, The Leadership Lessons, is supported by Salesforce. Madison Howarth, Charlotte Ryan and Bronte Charles are three young Indigenous women who are at the beginning of their leadership journey. Now, all at university and learning more about their chosen fields, they met a number of years ago as scholars at the Go Foundation, an organisation founded by Adam Goods and Michael O'Loughlin. Hi everyone, I'm Shirley Chowdhury, the host of the Women's Agenda podcast, The Leadership Lessons, supported by Salesforce. Today, I'm talking to these inspiring young women about what leadership means to them, what it looks like and what it feels like for young Indigenous women in this country. In particular, we explore what reconciliation means for them and their families on a personal level. What changes are they looking for and what is the future that they aspire to? Maddie, Charlotte, Bronte, welcome. It is so great to be able to talk to you on this podcast this morning. I, of course, have known you guys for a few years, so it's an incredible privilege for me to have you here. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge that we are all sitting on Camaragal land together today. We have the privilege of being in the same room recording together, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and I thank them for their ongoing custodianship of this land, a land that they have been looking after for millennia. Maddie, tell us a little bit about your mob and where you're from. Yep, so I am a Gurungay woman of the Wanarua Nation and a Yuan woman. And my country, Wanarua country, is in the Hunter Valley and Yuan country is down on the south coast of New South Wales. Charlotte? Uh, my mob is from Waramai in the mid-north coast, so most of my family grew up in Foster, but I grew up in between Foster and Sydney. Bronte. My mob is Bundjalung and Mananjali, and they're from a small town in southern Queensland called Desert. Thank you. So let's dive straight in. I want uh, the listeners to get to know you guys a little bit like I know you. Uh, and I know that they'll fall in love with you just like I have. Let's start. Charlotte, tell us a little bit about what you're doing, where you're studying. Okay, I graduated in 2019 from high school, so I'm in my second year of university at the moment. I'm studying a Bachelor of Clinical Science at Macquarie University and hoping to use it as my undergrad for postgraduate medicine. Bronte. I'm at Macquarie Uni as well, studying a Bachelor of Marketing and Media. Thank you. Maddie. So I graduated back in 2013 and from there I did a full-time year of dance in Brisbane. Um, Then I moved to Sydney and worked at the Go Foundation as the admin assistant there and at the Sydney Swans I went on to be a HR assistant there and did a bunch of things with the Swans and Go which I was so lucky to be able to be a part of that and um, then I found I wanted to go to uni and I studied, I am still studying, (laughs) a Bachelor of Media in Comms and Journalism. Thank you. And um, thanks for talking about Go because I do want to spend a few minutes talking about the Go Foundation because that's, of course, where I met each of you. So, Maddie, when I first met you, you were that admin assistant splitting your time between the swans and Go. And I remember one of our really early conversations and you said to me, I'd love to go to uni, but that's never going to happen. So let's talk about what else I might do. Talk to me about the journey that you went on then to from that conversation to actually go to uni and how Go supported you on that. 
obviously I spent a few years at Go and loved it and I know you guys all hold Go in your hearts and so I'd like to spend a few minutes exploring that. Well, I think that you said we'll look at the courses and we did and then I found the Bachelor of Media and I said this seems like something I could do, something I might be good at. And so you got me in the car and you drove me to Newagilly at UNSW <laughs> and said, all right, well, let's go. It was always a bit of tough love ago. Yeah. <laughs> Bronte, tell us about, you started with Go as a high school student. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I remember I finished year 10 and me and my dad were talking and I wasn't getting the best grades. I was at a school out in Western Sydney and my dad had found Go and he said, it's a long shot, but let's just j- just put in an application. So I get a bit emotional talking about this, but um, yeah, I put in an application and I heard back and they had given me a scholarship to PLC in Pimble. And I remember just walking through the gates at my old school compared to Pimble, I was just blown away and... I remember that first day me and my dad both looked at each other and it was kind of a look of hope I guess. We were kind of both so excited and yeah that was my first kind of experience with Go and yeah. And has it had an impact on your life? Oh definitely. Um, I don't know if I'd be at uni if it wasn't for Go so it definitely has impacted my life in the best way possible. Nice. And we'll talk a little bit more about what Go do. Charlotte, you started as a high school student as well. Yes, I did. I started at the end of year seven. I was very lucky to be one of the first or the first year through. I think you were in the first 15. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I definitely, it opened doors and opportunities that I would have never gotten if I hadn't been a part of Go. Um, I wouldn't have graduated from Loretto Normanhurst. I don't know that I would have been going to uni or would have had much aspiration to go into medicine and um, make a big change where there isn't a lot of Indigenous representation in that field. Um, I think just getting the opportunity to see a lot of Indigenous excellence through Go definitely gave me some great role models. And I guess that's a good place to explain to our listeners that the first 15 scholarships at Go were all at private schools. But after that, Go expanded into the public school arena and now the bulk of their scholarships are in public schools, which I think is fantastic. It's important to offer choice, but it's uh, fantastic that it's spread out further. Charlotte, you talk about Indigenous excellence and Go putting role models in front of you and you're talking about going into medicine. What do you think, as a young Indigenous woman, why is it so important to have role models in all of these fields and to be able to see people who are succeeding in the fields that you want to enter? I think it's important for any young person of any age to see someone that looks like them or has a um, history or a or someone who's gone through the same struggles, faced the same barriers as you, um, see them succeeding in the field that you'd like to go into. I think definitely medicine is a big field where you don't see many Indigenous people as seen in, I think, Indigenous doctors make up a very like it's less than 0.5 of percent of um, all Australian doctors and something we've been learning in uni if you're going to be treating your patients you have to empathize with them and there's just a big part of the indigenous health sector that isn't being made up by indigenous doctors there's a lot of non-indigenous doctors treating people without the same cultural awareness oh, absolutely Maddie years ago you told me a story 
about um, Brooke Boney. We were filming with Brooke Boney, who's an ambassador of the Go Foundation, and Brooke said, you can't be what you can't see. And you shared a story about listening to Brooke. Can you share that story? Yes. So I used to listen to Triple J Breakfast uh, when Brooke was on the show as the newsreader. And I got so excited when I saw that she was going to be the newsreader, first of all, because she was a young Indigenous woman from the Hunter Valley as well. She's from Musselbrook. And she was exactly what I wanted to be. She then used to begin her morning news with Yama and hearing someone say hello or a greeting in language on a station like Triple J, it, w- it was kind of like finally we're hearing something of our languages being shared. It's going to make me emotional. <laughs> um, it's really important. Yeah, it is really important. Um, and it was done in a way that was just, it was just normal. She would just say it so that people heard it every day and it just became a part of a conversation. It started a conversation where people asked what it meant and what it meant to her and then it was just a normal part of that show every day. Do we underestimate what it means to young Indigenous men and women to see Indigenous role models, to hear language, to normalise Indigenous culture in our everyday life? Do we underestimate, Bronte, what that means? Yeah, definitely. I remember my first encounter with Aboriginal people on TV, people who look like my mum and my grandma. I was at home from school sick one day and I was stumbling and I was flicking through the channels and I stumbled across an ITV and that was the first time at 15 or 16 that I'd ever really seen an Aboriginal person on TV and I think that was a big a big point in my life where I thought I shouldn't only be seeing Aboriginal people on an ITV I should be seeing them on mainstream media as well so it definitely is important to see people who look like you and your family on tv and in the radio as well and brooke boney was the first indigenous person on breakfast tv mm-hmm. going from radio seeing your your role model maddie from go from radio to tv mm-hmm. what did that mean so much i can't really uh almost can't put it into words you're just so happy for your mob to do well because it feels like when one of us win we all do and it shows that I can do it as well and anyone can do it as well and it kind of goes across the board in any field any industry Um, you see someone succeed and then you know that you can as well. Now I Knowing all three of you, I know that you are really keen to use your voice um, to help your mob and to lift Indigenous people. So let's turn our focus now to the future and what that means. Charlotte, you want to become a doctor. How do you want to use your voice in the field of medicine? I think it's really important if I do succeed in uh, finishing medicine. And no doubt you will. <laughs> um, that I would use my voice in a positive way to create positive change for Um, Indigenous health outcomes that you see in the really, really large gaps in between the healthcare given um, to Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. 
and just yeah, healthcare outcomes with diabetes and cardiovascular diseases. I think it's really important that Indigenous patients have people advocating for their health and for their cultural rights as well. No, absolutely. And I think I've seen you guys all do that in different ways already. Bronte, I have just read, and I know the um, readers of Women's Agenda will have a chance to read as well because you're generously sharing it. You wrote an article for the Reconciliation Prize at Macquarie Uni and you won. And that article, when I read it, I was in tears by the end of it. Tell us a little bit about why writing that article was so important. Give the listeners first a little bit of um, background on what the article is about and then why it was so important for you to write that from such a personal perspective. So the article was about growing up with an Aboriginal mum and a non-Indigenous dad and then Aboriginal grandparents and non-Indigenous grandparents. And it was kind of, I remember once I got told by someone on my non-Indigenous side that I have the best of both worlds because I get all the perceived benefits of being Aboriginal but I don't look Aboriginal. But I remember growing up, I always longed for this sense of cultural belonging I remember my cousins would often, I guess, question my Aboriginality, even though we, our mums were sisters. And I guess that really challenged my cultural identity. So that article explored that. And I think it's important to write things like that on a personal level so people are able to understand it's such a unique but shared experience, getting your cultural identity questioned. So, yeah, I think... It's important to use your voice in that sense because we all have such special stories as Aboriginal people. We all have such special experiences and it's so important to have that out there because people don't really understand what we go through on a daily basis. And Maddie, I can see you nodding in agreement. You've written as well on LinkedIn and for a number of publications. Tell me why you agree with what Bronte's saying. Because it's it's hard to share your personal story, right? It, you don't know what the response is going to be from anyone. So you have to put yourself out there. But it can benefit so many people because, as you said, we have so many different stories and Indigenous people are diverse in in ourselves we we have so many different ways that we relate to our culture and we are all different shades we all look different we have different perceptions and perspectives on different issues and that's sometimes not understood by non-indigenous people and so I think it's important that we share our stories. Michael O'Loughlin used to say that indigeneity is like coffee doesn't matter how much milk you add it's always coffee I think you're absolutely right Maddie there are so many stereotypes out there that come from a lack of understanding a lack of knowledge often a lack of interaction like I know so many non-indigenous people who haven't met indigenous people and that creates a barrier it creates fear unsubstantiated fear it comes from a place of just not knowing You recently wrote an article, it was during International Women's Day during that week, and you talked about some of the unconscious biases that exist out there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so that article was about how on International Women's Day and days like that where we suddenly think we need to give people a platform to be speaking on issues, which is really important, 
but we don't really think about the people that are in the room and I think we need to diversify those kinds of events in the audience as well not just in the people that we have come in and speak and make our corporate look really good in a way it's it's a little bit tokenistic I think because the audience is then usually quite privileged they can spend the money to be in the event to pay for the ticket to be there and then they have the privilege of listening to Indigenous women or Indigenous people sharing their very personal stories and then there's no Indigenous people in the audience networking and taking advantage of those those spaces. And just to add some clarity to that, just to give some background on that, um, Maddie's article was so to point but it was about how at one particular event there was a panel of Indigenous women but the tickets for that event were so out of reach of most people that the audience ended up being quite privileged and I think that's a really it's a really good point that these unconscious biases are everywhere. Reconciliation. This podcast is exploring ways to lead for the next 10 years. COVID has given us a really unique opportunity to do things differently. We've had to all do things differently in the last 18 months, work differently, work from home, think creatively about how organisations can pivot so that you can still interact with these organisations from home. On lots of different fronts, we've had to do things differently. When we talk about reconciliation, we you can pick up any newspaper and there'll be an article on reconciliation action plans in corporates. There'll be articles on voice to parliament or constitutional recognition on a treaty on truth-telling. But I think one of the things we're not exploring as much perhaps is what it means to individuals. What does reconciliation mean to young Indigenous men and women and families? Charlotte, you've got the mic. (laughs) What does it mean for you on a personal level? I think reconciliation to me where I'm currently at means equal opportunity but not equality. It means equity across non-Indigenous and Indigenous people. What's the difference between equity and equality in your mind? Equality means giving everyone exactly the same benefits but equity means taking possibly a little bit away from those who are already at a high privilege or not taking away but evening the playing field yeah there's a quite a good picture that has three people standing on boxes looking over a fence and one they're all different heights so they give them all the same size box and they all can't look over the fence some of them still looking at the fence but once they give them all their own size box then they can all look over this fence at the same height. I love that image. Yeah that's what it means to me it means getting equal opportunity and seeing a reconciled Australia move forward together just with a lot more knowledge and understanding of the history of Australia. What does it mean to you Bronte? On a personal level I think a reconciled Australia is when my little sister won't come home from school and say someone's asked me if I'm actually Aboriginal because I'm fair-skinned and in the same way it's when my darker-skinned Indigenous uncle won't get followed around at the shops. I think like what Charlotte said it is achieving equity not equality because to be reconciled I think Australia needs to realise that because of the impacts of colonisation, the stolen generation, intergenerational trauma Indigenous people aren't equal right now. There's so much history that has made us not have access to those equal opportunities. So 
I I love Go and I love what Go has done for me, but organisations like that shouldn't have to exist if Australia is reconciled. So that's what it means to me. I agree. I think at Go we used to say actually we wanted a future where we weren't necessary, where we worked ourselves out of a job. Maddie, you've had, um, you've talked about in the past publicly about your family, members of whom were stolen. It's not uncommon out there to hear people say, okay, but that stolen generation, that was years ago. How is that affecting what's happening now? What's your answer to that? Well, we need to have very honest conversations, first of all. We don't really have uncomfortable conversations in this country. We need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and telling the truth about what's happened. Why do you think we shy away from truth-telling? I think no one wants to be a part of something like the stolen generations. No one wants, on either side, (laughs) no one wants to be complicit in something like the stolen generations and no one wants to have benefited from something like that either. It's an uncomfortable truth. It's an uncomfortable history that we have in, in this country. But unless we acknowledge it, we're not trying to blame anybody today but it's acknowledging that perhaps by some people being incredibly disadvantaged and displaced you may have indirectly benefited from that and unless we acknowledge that talk about it and genuinely consult the people that it affects on how we repair not just reconciling in this sort of corporate way That doesn't take away from the importance of things like reconciliation action plans though, does it? No, no, they're they're important, but we need to go further. I think we're at a point and we have have reached a turning point in this last year. I think there has been a shift and we need to just keep going further. I think we can do more. I actually believe in this country and the people that are in it and the people that I know that we can definitely do more. Charlotte? Oh, I think... Reconciliation action plans definitely are the first step. Um, It sounds a bit confronting because most companies take such a big leap saying, oh, we're going to put together a reconciliation action plan. But I think it really is just the first step to building um, a bit of mutual understanding and going forward into more sharing of knowledge and sharing of culture, even just acknowledging a shared history and moving forward from that. I think even non-Indigenous people will immensely benefit from knowing the history of their own country and acknowledging um, such things as we did at the start of this podcast, like acknowledging the country that you're standing on. So, Yeah, I think Australia has such a rich history and culture on this land and these waters and there is nowhere else in the world that can compete with that. We have the oldest surviving living culture in the world. I mean, that spins me out that we have that privilege. Yeah, it's something that we should all be proud of. Everyone should be proud of that and should be celebrating that and learning about it. And I think we have so much to learn from it. I mean, even the bushfires last year, Indigenous communities have looked after the land for millennia and had ways of dealing with bushfires and the weather patterns in this country. We could be learning from that and benefiting from it, and yet we seem to not listen as closely as we should be. Charlotte, going back to your point, I've seen companies that have done reconciliation action plans really well. There are some that where the wrap is not a document that sits in the bottom drawer that comes out 
twice a year during NAIDOC week and Reconciliation Week. And I can see one of you rolling your eyes at that because it is, it feels distasteful when it happens. It becomes a box ticking exercise. But for the companies that are doing it really well, they live and breathe their Reconciliation Action Plan every day. So it's not a bolt on. It's not something that sits in one team that is a responsibility of one team. It is a responsibility of every team. And, you know, I speak on this, I talk to companies about it, I work with companies and there is nothing better than working with those companies that get that. Um, Michael McDaniel from UTS says that he lives for the day when Indigenous engagement is not a team, but it is part of what every organisation does. It's like diversity and inclusion. When everybody can think like that all the time in everything they're doing, then we've gotten somewhere. Let's talk about leadership and I know that you're all at the beginning of your leadership journey. Bronte, one of the questions that we're exploring in this podcast is leadership philosophy and where you get your leadership philosophy from. So we've talked to some really established leaders who talk about role models they've had or incidences in their career that taught them how they wanted to lead. You are all already leading. I don't think you need a title to lead. You're writing, you're sharing your culture, you're talking to people about things that matter. What's your leadership philosophy and where do you get it from? I think my leadership philosophy comes from my dad. He's such a special person to me. Um, He is generally a very special person. He is and I guess he's instilled in me that you can do anything you can be anything and as cliche as it sounds he's right I remember I would be going to Pimble from Redfern Housing Commission and it's just such a different it's such a change in environments and I remember one time dad was driving me to school and he said you can do just as well as every girl in every classroom that you sit in and basically that I could do anything and I've kind of adopted that mentality and brought that into uni with with me and uni has been such a confronting experience no um, no one in my family has ever gone to uni before but I'm loving it and I deserve to be there and that's such a big thing for an Aboriginal person to say I've met so many amazing Aboriginal people there and they're lifelong friends and they're all getting HDs, distinctions, they're all incredible and we have such a strong cohort, Charlotte included, at Macquarie Uni. My dad was right, like I can do anything, I can be anything and that's what I'm doing, that's what I'm trying to be, trying to be that change for my little sisters and my mum even, my cousins up in Darwin. I have to tell you, Bronte, that in all the years I've known you, it makes me so proud to hear you say that you deserve to be there because I've seen your journey and I know how hard it was at times and how you struggled and um, you absolutely deserve to be there and you're shooting the lights out with scholarships and prizes and and we are all <laughs> sobbing at this point, every single one of us. You're going to go, well, Charlotte's not sobbing, so let's Charlotte go to Charlotte. cry. <laughs> Charlotte, Charlotte, where does your leadership philosophy come from? Might be a little cliche to say, but I think from you, Shirley. Um, Honestly, I think 
Growing up, I did see great role models of leadership, but um, it wasn't really until I started with Go that I saw just amazing role models and just the way you led Go for so many years and in such a positive and just really amazing, honourable way to lead an Indigenous scholarship organisation and provide so many opportunities to young Indigenous people just really shone a light on what I would want to be as a leader and you're always so welcoming and you develop such strong and close relationships with everyone you talk to and yeah that's what really I'm even modeling at work through (laughs) talking to my patients I just try and be the most honest and open person I can be just really (laughs) channel my inner Shirley. (laughs) This podcast is not meant to make me cry. (laughs) I don't know what to say Charlotte. The, um, it takes a village, so it was never just me. It was always a incredible team of people led by Adam and Michael. Um, but it was a privilege to get to know all the students and get to know you. And I think uh, it is one of the privileges of my career and my life to have you guys in my life. Maddie, where does your leadership philosophy come from? So I spoke at the Women's Agenda Leadership Awards recently and I spoke of how This past year has been really hard for people of colour, Indigenous people and women and how we are all so tired from how hard it has been having the same conversations that we've had for a long time. And there has been a shift but it's been a lot of emotional work for us. And so I was wondering how we keep going, how we keep persevering and – what keeps me going and has become sort of my my leadership philosophy in a way is thinking about the women, especially in my life, who have come before, who haven't had the opportunities. Like your grandma, who you talked once about your grandma who didn't get an education and yet you think about that when you walk through the gates at Redfern. Yeah, so my great-grandmother who was stolen who was a a part of the Stolen Generations, probably couldn't have imagined the things that I have done. (laughs) It's a big deal, right? So she comes to mind whenever I have the privilege of speaking, when I'm in a room with people who I look up to, when I have the privilege of being in that room, when I'm (laughs) travelling, when I'm in some random country that I've always dreamed of going to and seeing all of these things that I think she should have had the opportunity to have and she didn't and I have it so I have to keep going no matter how tired. So I have to keep going no matter how tired I am. It's your resilience and you've all got that. Bronte, in the article that you wrote, you talk about the strength that you get from your family and your your nan and your dad and your mum and is that where you get your resilience from? Yeah, definitely and I can see exactly what Maddie's talking about when she talks about even doing something, even finishing year 12, like we're doing that for our mums and our grandmas and our great-grandmas who didn't have that opportunity and you should be so proud of yourself, Maddie. We all should. Because it's such a it's such an amazing thing. It's such a special thing. We still have such a long way to go, but doing that goes back to resilience and I think 
that's something passed on from our ancestors. You you can't even deny it. I, f- I feel it when I feel it when I'm in colonized environments like uni I feel that resilience I feel that strength I feel it when I'm tired and I don't want to do it anymore and I I feel like I have to because of my my sisters and my brother who need that role model it's it's resilience that we that's passed on from our ancestors it's it's undeniable almost and yeah I I I get that from from my mum and my grandma We've all had struggles that we have the privilege of not going through today. I think I see that a little bit. My own grandma, she um, she was raised like in the time of um, the late stolen generations and her mum always denied her Aboriginality. She said no and even when they grew up just across the road from the mission and they lived on the mission for a bit and then yeah they just denied it just for pure fear of my grandma being taken away and then even my mum in the time she was growing up in foster it was seen as such a negative thing to be an Aboriginal person and um, my auntie was born 12 years after my mum her sister and she just grew up in foster in such a different time and um, she was raised to really be proud of being an Aboriginal woman and she raised me while my mum was at work so um, definitely a lot of my auntie's values and pride in our culture instilled in me and just being able to give my grandma the courage in seeing how open Australia is even now just to even go back and see all her friends at the mission and yeah it's definitely coming coming along (laughs) not there but coming along and it's baby steps right it's it's moving slower than we would like but I have absolutely no doubt that with women like you who are starting your journey and you'll go out into the workforce and you're writing about it and speaking about it and inspiring others, you inspire me, you will help shift that needle and we'll slowly get to a place where every Australian will understand the incredible gift that Indigenous culture and heritage is to all of us that we get to share in, that has been gifted to us to share in and that hopefully one day we can look back at our past and while still feel sorrow for the things that we've done and the things that have happened, we'll feel pride that we're talking about it and sharing it and telling the truth about it and moving on to a place where we can grow together to a future that works for everybody. Today's podcast was a very special insight into three amazing young women. Madison Howarth, Charlotte Ryan and Bronte Charles are indicative of so many of the young Indigenous women I have had the privilege of meeting. They draw a special strength from their culture and heritage and all want to use their voice and skills to lift their communities and people. I leave this podcast today with renewed hope for our shared future. If these women, with their integrity and strength of character, are the leaders of the future, I have no doubt that they can show us how we can do it better. It is such a privilege to have these beautiful young women in my life, and I hope that the friendship and love we share came through as you listened. They deserve to have all of their dreams and aspirations come true, and I am so excited to see the journey that they will travel to get there. I'm especially humbled that I get to be part of that journey with them. I hope you've enjoyed the conversations today and managed to take some downtime out of your busy schedule. 
The Leadership Lessons is produced by Alison Ho, who I love working with. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe anywhere you get your favourite podcasts. We welcome your feedback and you can contact Women's Agenda or me anywhere on social media. The Leadership Lessons is presented by Women's Agenda and Salesforce and you can subscribe to their daily publication at womensagenda.com.au. It's been very special to have you with us today. I hope your week is filled with joy and learning. Until next week, bye for now. Women's Agenda is proud to partner with Salesforce on this podcast series. As the world's leading CRM, Salesforce continues to be a different kind of Fortune 500 company, one that cares and gives back to the community, yet innovates like a startup. Equality is a core value at Salesforce and as a business, believes that its higher purpose is to drive equality for all. For more, visit salesforce.com.